Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I am Benjamin R. Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Ben, you didn't see me do, like, finger guns on that one, but that's what I was doing. I heard you do them. Yeah. You know, sometimes you can hear hear a smile over the radio mm-hmm. or the phone. Did you hear yeah. my finger guns? I could hear them. I could hear them waving around in the air. Adam, it's been a long time since we've done mutually assured card destruction. Do you want to oh. un- unbury that bit? Oh, I kind of do. I got to run downstairs to get them cards, though. Get them cards. You've got the con. <laughs> oh, fuck. What do I do? The game is five cards done. The game is exceedingly simple. Or this is just the card there. Time to pluck a pigeon. Had to run downstairs to get them. Still very sore from yoga. I'm, oh, I'm, yeah, a, I'm restarting my yoga practice, and a uh, fun thing happened yesterday where the instructor was like, uh, you may feel something interesting during this stretch. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, there is no other place where interesting is code for pain, like, uh, like a <laughs> yoga studio, right? No. Um... Yeah, if I, if I if I go unyoked for more than a month, I'm always uh, in pretty bad shape the next day. Yeah. But once you've done it like twice in a row, you feel like pretty indestructible. Yeah, it's good. Enjoy All right, let's it. rip into these fuckers. All right. I have to confess that while you were away, I launched one of our previas into space and hit it with a dozen torpedoes. Oh. I well, didn't know we- what to do. You left me with the con. I can't deal with that kind of responsibility. We had one to burn. <laughs> no SIGs in this first one. I've got a cool one for cause and effect. I got Two. uh I got Cupid. Did you get that one yet? With Worf in the hat? Uh, I think I do have that one. It looks like a magazine cover and yeah. the and the biggest story is the issue with hats. <laughs> Hey, I got one for the episode we're reviewing today, Ship in a Bottle. What? That's never Mor- happened. Yeah. Moriarty standing against a hollow grid. Oh, and I have one for the big goodbye, which is a fun noir depiction of uh, Beverly in a period costume. Fun. I'm, right. t- I'm two packs in. No cigs. I think I might be diving for a while, given that... What am I, three behind? Three packs behind in our power ranking? Yep. As I recall. Got one for Ethics. The famous Worf wants to commit seppuku episode. Just another day for Mr. The Worf. Dauphin, the Dauphin, uh, the episode where Wesley gets a hot date, who turns out to be a werebear. That was a fun one. Wesley's so unlucky in love. Poor kid. Whoa. I have a limited edition signed card. Damn it. By Juan Ortiz himself. Like, this is not the foil signature. This is an actual pen on card signature. What? 
This is, uh, so, like, I know we've both gotten these cards before where there's, like, there's a little bit of an embossment to it, and yeah. the card is a little thicker than the other I cards. I have that for Aquiel. Yeah, this is actual, like, blue pen ink on Suddenly Human. And it says this limited edition autograph card was personally signed by Juan Ortiz. Damn. And the card is JOA78. So there must be a whole set of these that have been hand-signed. I win again! How many packs did that take? One, two, three, four packs. All right, I have three packs open. Um, my third pack has cards for the Royale and uh, Second Chances that there's two Commander Rikers episodes, so... Not like a total loss. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Right, this is pack four. This could I, at least keep me from slipping if there's something in it. I love thinking about that writer's room pitch for the one with two Rikers. The, the guy <laughs> in the corner is like, so uh, we all know Commander Riker is amazing, but what my story presupposes is, what if there were two? <laughs> uh... Fuck, I have another pack of just cards. <laughs> Keep diving. Alright. You've got Schizoid Man. Fun, stylized picture of uh, Worf and Alexander for New Ground. Um, Alright, pack five. I mean, the good news is I'm getting a lot of packs open. <laughs> Gotta get them packs. Hey, here's a special card. Hooray! Uh, it is a, it is an embossed foil version of the Juan Ortiz signed card for Too Short a Season. Oh, Space Irish. Yeah. No, that's up the long ladder. Oh, which one is this? Uh, this is the one with, uh, uh, Admiral Jameson, the guy that's, like, de-aging <laughs> himself. One of the greats. Yeah. Some of the some of the worst loaf in the history of loaf. It's real Hall of Fame loaf right there. Yeah. People have oh. uh, asked us what we're gonna do when next gen is over. If we're gonna do any special episodes where, like, maybe we do our awards episode. Yeah, we, yeah, we look back on the series. I feel like uh, loaf Hall of Fame is a great segment for that. Yeah, I don't hate the idea of doing like a, a retrospective episode before we move on to holes in space, etc. We've already done clip show. It doesn't get any worse than that. Award <laughs> show is is far, far better, I would say. Yeah. So I have slipped to four packs behind. It's it's really a game... Uh, <laughs> it's a, a, it's going to be a Pyrrhic game, right? Because we probably have roughly the same number of special cards in each box. Yeah, it's just the degree... It's, it's how we judge each other's special cards. Like, one of us right. could get a real barn burner. Yeah. I mean, if there's a Jaeger in there... If you pull a whoopee... hang it up. A whoopee is going to destroy me. Yeah, I'd say that it's... Uh, would you say that whoopee is the, is the, is the you know, ace of spades and... I would and, say uh, uh, pulling a whoopee is like the 1989 Upper Deck Ken Griffey Jr. card. Like, that is... Is that the one where he shits in the toilet tank? 
friend, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's the Billy Ripkin fuckboy <laughs> card. <laughs> God, we're way in the weeds now. Oh, we're we're doomed. <laughs> How's this one gonna go, Ben? Uh, I say we uh, I say we just move right on to uh, to our episode. Well, we got a, a real doozy here, Ben. It's season six, episode twelve. Ship in a bottle. It's another great playing holodeck episode, isn't it, Ben? Data and Jordy are hanging out at uh, at uh, Holmes's Holmes's apartments in Baker Street. Their captain doing... has spent some time being tortured. Uh, two of his closest friends decide to just go play holodeck instead of being his friend. <laughs> Be by his side. Yeah. <laughs> do what, do whatever they can to help him recover from his ordeal. He'll be fine. An ordeal that never leaves anyone unscarred. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're, having, they're having a laugh in the holodeck, and uh, the character that they're about to accuse of murdering his brother, like, catches some object with his right hand, and Data... He's like, aha, you're left-handed. And Jordy's like, um, hey, Data, uh, don't look now, but you're, you're shitting on your own point. And, um, and they just kind of like go off into, like they, they drop their ridiculous accents and go off into techno babble. Like something is clearly wrong with the holodeck. There seems to be a problem with the holodeck's spatial orientation systems. London's greatest detective. <laughs> Freeze program. Are they here for work or are they here for play? Because it seems like at this point they were doing a job. Like something's wrong with the holodeck, so we got to play with the holodeck to figure out what's happening. I mean, I think that they were doing, you know, like they were they were playing Duck Hunt and then it started glitching out and they pulled the cartridge and tried blowing on it through their t-shirt to me it felt like they were like two hot tub repairmen who could only (laughs) test out if the bubbles worked by getting in the hot tub you know (laughs) jordy's like uh, the butt jet isn't bubbling the way it should these pipes have been service for years must have been a non-union job god they leave so much back hair every time they (laughs) test it out it's really gross good thing they got barkley though barkley these guys have the greatest thing in the world, which is they call up tech support, and tech support is, like, there as they're leaving. Deja vu. There must have been a glitch in the Matrix diodes. I thought Barkley would be banned from the holodeck, and I think he was, because that's the only explanation for how excited he is to be back on a holodeck inside an arch again. Oh, oh, Reg. I'm sorry, Commander. I'm just on my way to the holodeck. I mean, dude definitely sounds like he was jerking it when they call him up. Yeah. yeah. Um... <laughs> DJ yeah, like into my... deck. <laughs> R slash deck is what he's been looking at. That takes him right over the line. Yeah. <laughs> R slash deck in 15 seconds. He sort of has like a futuristic tongue depressor. Like, like that's what he's rolled into the holodeck with to fix this thing. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't need much. His hair is much better now. <laughs> yeah, I guess. To who? He starts, like, poking around, and he narrows the problem down to Sherlock Holmes stuff, 
and uh, discovers that there's a big thing running in protected memory, and he launches it, and uh, out in the center of the holodeck appears Professor Moriarty, the uh, same actor and character from the episode Elementary Dear Data. A deep callback. A four-season callback, which is shocking. They don't talk about things that happened in the episode before. It's incredible. Yeah, they they are willing to call back this holodeck character, but not the fact that Picard has just been subjected to torture. (laughs) Moriarty's like, I've been in that fucking uh, isolinear chip for four years, and it's kind of freaking me out. Where are we at on the mission W slash R slash T making me a real sentient person? And Bar- I want to leave the holodeck. <laughs> I want to leave it right now. Barkley's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, man. And, and Moriarty is justifiably pissed about this. I have been stored in memory for God knows how long and no one has given me a second thought. Yeah, Moriarty should have been like, hey, guy, you were the entire computer for a while. You lived in the holodeck. Yeah. You know every inch of this computer system. You should know what I am. If there's one guy who knows what Moriarty's been through, it's actually Scotty, who was stuck in that transporter buffer. Yeah. Moriarty Um, seems fine, though, other than being a little pissed. He's like, I need to see the captain. I need, like, I need to, I need to lecture him on, on this part of his uh, performance evaluation. This shit is horrifying, right? Like, to be trapped in there for four years without any way to interact with the outside world. Yeah. Yeah, kind of a lot's happened in four years. Picard shows up with the action jacket. Moriarty's like, what the hell is that? Picard is like, uh, hey, listen, dude, Like, I want to tell you all about my action jacket, but <laughs> we've got some uh, some planets that are about to bump into each other, and I'm much more interested in that. And, uh, you know, like I assure you that people who know what they're doing are looking into your into your case, and I'm sorry that you were awake the entire time but uh like i don't know what to say like you're still a holodeck guy there's nothing i can do about that he kind of gives him the whole uh we realize you have your choice in holodecks uh, (laughs) and we we thank you for choosing enterprise holodecks Mm -hmm. yeah he's not he's not um like sir we oversold this holodeck and we need you to leave right now moriarty is like checklisting him a little bit he's like well didn't you elevate this problem to tech support like outside of Barkley and Picard's like yeah like Starfleet set up a whole holodeck lab with nothing but snowballs and books they got us working in shifts <laughs> they just can't figure this thing out and that is like deeply unsatisfying in the way that it always is when you call tech support and they <laughs> don't have a a way to like turn a knob and your problem is fixed yeah He feels very urgently that he has to get off this holodeck. One thing we we neglected to mention was that, like, when Barkley agreed to go get the captain, he, like, flipped a switch and Moriarty disappeared. But the second Barkley left the room, Moriarty reappeared, you know, foreshadowing that he has some level of control over his existence that uh, is uh, heretofore unestablished. Mm -hmm. And so as this 
argument with Picard boils over. He's like, he's like, hey, asshole, like, I'm going to show you how wrong you are about this whole situation. I am aware of myself and what I am and my surroundings. Cogito ergo sum. And I think that by sheer force of will, I can, I can step off this holodeck and, and uh, maintain my matter cohesion or whatever. And, uh, and he walks over to the door. And sure enough, he steps into the hallway and does not disappear. Sort of a heavy moment. Because he knows the stakes. Picard has told him the stakes. You're going to walk outside that door and you're just going to you're just gonna vaporize like this book. Yeah. Like well, if only you were a like, snowball, uh, you would, you'd survive outside the holodeck. Wasn't it the uh, Dixon Hill episode where there were some gangsters that walk out of the holodeck and they sort of like disappear by fading up from the floor? Yeah. Yeah. So we've seen it before. We know the stakes. Yeah, I, I was wondering why the book behaved so differently. I don't know. It sort of Q flashes out of out of frame. Maybe Q stole it. <laughs> well, anyways, Moriarty walks off, and everybody is fucking shocked. Like they cannot believe their eyes. Like Data, like almost has a spasm when he sees this. Yeah, because this is new life, right? And new civilizations. He has just basically announced to the universe that he is real. I'm real, baby. He's done the Pinocchio transition, right? He's a real boy. <laughs> He's a real evil boy. A real evil boy. Um, yeah, and so I think they like go to Six Bay and the doctor does tricorder on him and she's like yeah he's weird but he's real and uh and he starts asking questions he's he's like uh you know like where what ocean is this ship in like let's go let's go up to the deck and and take in the breeze and um picard is like oh i actually need to uh i need to break something to you buddy and does the the classic picard trick of taking somebody to a window to show them out yeah, which is uh, normally what's happening outside the ship. It's normally like a seduction technique for him. <laughs> and, uh, this is one of the few times you see him do it towards someone he's not sexually interested in. Yeah, he does not want to bang Moriarty, and so like they sit down, and Moriarty's like, "Okay, I'm out of there now. You got to get my girlfriend out of there, and you got to let us go. Like this is inhumane. What has happened to me is unacceptable." and you guys were totally asleep at the switch the entire time. It's not cool. They build up the idea of this love interest over a couple of scenes. Like, initially, Moriarty is like, God, I love this girl so much. She was designed to be the love of my life. I think my mission is really to, to spring her from the holodeck prison, too. Because, like, it's great that I'm alive, but what I really... Like, it's not going to mean much to me if I'm by myself. Like, I want to... I want to get my lady friend out so we can start living this life. And I love that Picard is like, uh, you know, making one supervillain real is one thing. <laughs> like, actively making a second supervillain real seems like a big problem. <laughs> and Moriarty's like, no, no, she's just regular. She's not a supervillain at all. There's so much buildup to her before we see her that I... I mean, I knew this wasn't going to happen because I started to remember this episode fairly quickly, but do you think they ever considered bringing uh, Pulaski back? Because they really hit it off. Moriarty and Pulaski did back in the day. 
Yeah. And if his love interest... Was, like, modeled off of her? Was modeled off of her, that would have been an awesome callback. Yeah. Or minuet, for that matter. Yeah. Either one would have been pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, we're not knocking the actress who ends up playing the Countess, but... No, she does great. Yeah. But, boy, like, to bring back a very salty Pulaski would be fantastic. You know what hit me while I was watching this episode about Moriarty? What's that been? He's the uh, he's the captain that uh, Admiral Fred Thompson is bossing around in, in uh, Hunt for Red October. Whoa! Yeah. He's like, I don't like that guy wearing that uniform. Good call. <laughs> Cut the boy some slack, Jimmy. <laughs> just, I just felt the need to work that in there. He let, fell out of a helicopter in Vietnam. He was a Marine. Let me tell you something, Ben. Fred is always welcome on our show. <laughs> are you allowed to wear a Navy uniform if you used to be a Marine and are now attached to the CIA? Does that make it less bad for that captain? God, I don't know. Or is he still like, this fucking sucks? That's Because uh... Admiral Greer's the one that put him in it. He says, this is Greer's idea of low profile. <laughs> We got to save that for a different pod, Ben. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe our next Max Fun Drive, we uh, we put a uh, Red October back on the list as a as a potential bonus app. That is agreeable to me. My love is a Picard agrees to, you know, move with all deliberate speed on getting Moriarty's sweet, sweet girlfriend off of the holodeck and heads up to the bridge to attend to Planet Crash. Star Crash. The the ship is in this system because there are two gas giants that are going to bump into each other and potentially go, go nuclear and, like, form a new star. So it's going to be a pretty exciting event, and they're... You know, and a rare one. So they're really excited to observe it. And uh, Picard is like, "All right, let's let's uh, let's send some some probes out there. Look at these nice giant globes. Those are some big, sexy globes." And uh, now, when you're making a new star, <laughs> you're gonna want to take two large gas giants and then smash them together real hard. <laughs> We recommend using a lot of support with two large gas giants. <laughs> they can cause low back problems if you are not supporting them properly. <laughs> we recommend measuring both cup size and strap size. Now, once they start banging into each other, you're going to want to get a safe distance. <laughs> we recommend a half a light year. That way, when they form a neutron star, your starship won't be in danger of sure destruction. (laughs) Use safety goggles at all times. And whatever you do, do not let a malevolent being from the holodeck take over your ship. (laughs) Man, that was a complicated one, Adam. It incorporated real things from the episode and also boob jokes, which have never touched (laughs) the the good folks at at this old house. A single time. You know, once history. we start sexualizing this old house, you know we will have come full circle on that bit. <laughs> you know it's Did, ready. Didn't we just, Adam? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> They're getting ready to launch some pr- probes at these at these uh, at these globes. 
But you know, some people are into, some people not. Five probes is is more probes than than typically I could take. Yeah. On, in a in a globe in a globe banging situation. <laughs> yeah. Worf is like, oh, I'm going to spray pro- probes all over these globes. And, <laughs> and he hits the button and uh, nothing happens. It's, it's very anticlimactic. Yeah. It happens to everyone, Worf, from time yeah. to time. <laughs> Don't feel ashamed. You know, this is, you know sometimes it's, it's when we realize our most exciting fantasies that we, uh, we get a little stage fright, Worf. Too much pressure. Turns out Worf, <laughs> not a globes man. <laughs> he's more of a buns man he's uh he likes the craggly teeth <laughs> oh yeah he made a special exception for uh his uh parmakai didn't he <laughs> they can't they can't launch these probes and data is like hey uh, the command codes have all been rerouted that's no good yeah and everyone sort of looks at data like when command codes are rerouted i think suspect number one is data <laughs> yeah, they're like unreroute them data, <laughs> and uh, onto the bridge saunters Moriarty, and he's like, uh, "Hey guys, got your ship? You guys looking for this <laughs> ship you're on? Nice ship you got here. It'd be a shame if anything happened to it." And, uh, and Picard is like, "Dude, you don't understand. Those globes need probes on them. <laughs> like, we got to finish the job. We're in danger." And he's like, "Well, uh, maybe that is the." is just the kind of motivation you'll need to help me with my problem. Yeah. And uh and so they're fucked. Like the the ship is under his control. They have a great scene down in engineering where it's like Jordy and Barkley and Data doing like what every nerd sitting around in the living room with their friends does, which is trying to headcanon holodeck versus transporter. Yeah. It's so fun. I wonder, what would happen if we tried to beam a holodeck object off the grid? Oh, please. If I wanted to hear mindless droning, I'd befriend an air conditioner. It delivers on this in the way that, like, Batman versus Superman fails to deliver on that nerd headcanon. Like, what would happen? Like... They, this is uh, this is great. Like they they work out a reason why you can't beam something off off the holodeck, and that's something that I'm sure. Can you imagine the fucking stack of letters this mm-hmm. show received over the course of its now six and a half years on on television from people wondering why that has never been tried? I feel like they needed six and a half years to come up with a reason. <laughs> Like, it wouldn't have surprised me if they used all six and a half years to detail this. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. But, like, you know what? Even in a non-specific way, I like seeing them work out a problem like this. Yeah. Like, like they actually go through a few iterations of why before, before resting on their conclusion. It's great. It's scientists doing science. And they have they're they're they've come up with a hypothesis, and they don't know if it's going to work, so they're going to test it. So uh, Data and Reg wander down to the holodeck with some uh, some jumbo crayons, and Reg goes in, and he's going to try and set them up around a chair and see if they can beam a chair off the holodeck. And um, when he goes into the room, the Countess Regina is uh, who is a uh, Moriarty's girlfriend is in there. 
Have you come to see Mr. Holmes or perhaps Professor Moriarty? Do you know him? She's got a big floppy hat. She's got like a Guinan size hat. It may be even be bigger than a Guinan hat. It's massive <laughs> and it's got feathers. You think Guinan has real hat envy in this situation? Yeah, she would have to. And she is great. She is, as a character, like smart and quick and charming. And yeah, the interaction she's definitely not like a damsel in distress. She has like real agency and is not just girl Moriarty, but a like a real interesting foil for his character. This scene, I think, is my favorite scene in the whole episode because you get Barkley in there to do a job, and I think, I think. No matter what your job is, this has happened to you before, but you're like there to do a thing and you run into a person that you've got to help while doing this thing and you just hit it off, right? You hit Mm -hmm. it off and you are charmed by them in a really fun way. And the interaction between the Countess and Barkley, she totally just melts him in in the best way. Like he sees her with, with Moriarty together and then she's alone with Barkley and like he sort of breaks multiple times like his stoicism and professionalism are just sort of cracking and he can't help but be charmed by her traveling the stars you know about that she has been let in on the secret by moriarty so she's aware that she is a character in simulation and that this is an attempt to bring her and moriarty into the real world or I guess just her into the real world. Do you remember the last time we got... Well, I guess it maybe wasn't even the last time. But, but you've remembered moments in this show where they've written characters out of time that have experienced the future. I'm talking about, of course, $5 Carnival Guitar Guy. Like, <laughs> Let's see if the Braves are on. How do you cut on this TV? Isn't it great that they wrote the Countess in like a smart, reasonable way? Like, she's not... She's not pie-eyed and googly about her circumstances. She's, like, smart and reasonable. She's smart and reasonable, and yet she has this kind of Victorian bearing that she maintains in spite of everything. And it's really fun to watch that kind of play out in all the different contexts where she's... uh, It's a good combination. Yeah, it's it's real fun stuff. It is is not... You know, what, what did you call it? Victorian bearing? Yeah. Boy, isn't there a difference between that and, like, country General Lee bearing? (laughs) You know? Indeed, Adam. I am the cutest of all. You will assist us. I am the cutest of all. You are all. They try to beam this chair off the holodeck, and it does not materialize on the pad. And that is not good news. Um... So Data, like, wanders down to engineering to... I guess he's just going to gab with Geordi about it, but what he finds when he gets there is Captain Picard giving Geordi the command codes to try and reinitialize the ship, and uh, it doesn't work. Like, he doesn't... Like, Geordi has been working on, like, backdooring Picard back into command after Moriarty took them out of it, and Data shows up like a a minute too late to prevent Picard from doing this. But what he does do is toss something to Geordi, which Geordi catches with his left hand, which mimics the the glitch that they observed in their cold open. And uh, so Data puts it together that 
They've been in a simulation the entire time. None of this is real. They never left the holodeck after the first time they went in. The, the Moriarty character walking out the door was not walking out of the actual holodeck door. He was walking into a simulated enterprise of his own design. Which is like, they've been incepted, basically. Exactly. Like, this is Star Trek Inception, and it's a sophistication in storytelling that you didn't think they were capable of. At least I didn't yeah. think. Like, it's wow. a real like, mind-blowing twist. I love how I love how they treat fake Jordy here. They're like, uh, Jordy, why don't you go do some work or whatever? And Jordy like walks behind a curtain. Yeah. He's like, like, all right, bye. What is he doing back there? I was really hoping for fake Jordy to be like, What? I'm not real? Like for him to suddenly get sentience the way that Moriarty did. How big yeah. of a problem would that have been if <laughs> if the fake Enterprise crew members suddenly felt like they were alive in the same way that Moriarty did. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's fun because, like, Jordy behaves the way holodeck characters do behave when you start talking about yeah. them as holodeck characters. And this doesn't look like anything to me. They, yeah, sort, of, they the, sort of default to that. They establish, they kind of, like, reestablish that a bit in the cold open. And it's it's really fun to see one of our characters doing that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, real fun. So now we go to outside the holodeck for the first time since this has been going on, and it's like Riker and Jordy negotiating on FaceTime with Moriarty like a a hostage situation. Things are not what they seem, Chris. Picard, Data, and Barkley are in the holodeck, incommunicado, as far as they know, unaware of what's going on, and Riker is trying to convince Moriarty to break the lock and let them out release control of this ship and they're fucked because now moriarty has captain picard's command code it's hard to tell who's more dangerous with those codes moriarty or data yeah because like at least data you could like physically restrain right yeah there's no like there's nothing there with moriarty he can disappear into any part of the ship yeah i thought it was an interesting choice to, in the cut back and forth between hollow enterprise and real enterprise, I wonder if at any point they had thought to materially change, you know, either how it was lensed or how it was colored in a way that made the distinction more apt. Because, you know, like in the Matrix, you can tell that the Matrix is the Matrix because there's that green cast to it and in the real life has a different cast, but... A little bluer. Welcome to the real world. I appreciated the amount of trust the show gave the viewer in figuring that out, in cutting back and forth. Like, it looks materially the same in a way that can at times be confusing. But the confusion helps serve the story, which is also good. It's perfectly done. Yeah. It's it's flawless. And, And so, like, the complication now is that the stakes have been raised because Moriarty has the command codes, but you know, conversely, Picard and uh, and Data and Barkley are aware of the predicament they're in, and so they're working to get out of it from the other side of the holodeck door. They're you know digging from opposite ends of the tunnel, basically. Yeah, yeah, they're trying to meet in the middle. Well, so. Picard goes to 
the countess and is like, listen, uh, you know, I want to help you. And like, I, I think we probably can, but I have, I have a lot of responsibility here. There's a thousand people that could die if your boyfriend continues down this path. I'm going to get you guys out of here, but only after he relinquishes control of the ship to me. And she's like, that doesn't sound so much like a compromise as a threat. So what's the deal? And he's like, well, that's, that's like my best offer. So she explains this to Moriarty and, um, and like his mind immediately makes this a, like, this is perfect. I have them running around like rats in a maze. Now I have all the leverage I need yeah. to, to get this done. And so what he's done is explained to Riker that um, that the theory here inside the holodeck is do something with the Heisenberg compensators. And so Riker, I guess, I, this is maybe a little thin, but somehow worked in the episode. That's like enough for Riker to work out what to do which is that they beam Moriarty and the Countess out of the simulated world into the simulated Enterprise. Like, they think they're being beamed from the Baker Street apartment to the real Enterprise, but they are being beamed to the to the simulated Enterprise. And they're put in a shuttlecraft and sent on their way. And uh, it turns out that that is all a ruse. They get the Scotty deal. They do, yeah. They get a sweet Previa all to themselves. One of the big ones. Yeah, the family truckster. Wow, this is roomy. I thought that this maybe it was like one area that wrote Moriarty a little dumber than he probably would have been. And I don't really know, I don't have a solution to this, but I sort of think that he would have been checking in with his reality frequently, given the the con he was running. Well, that's what Inception does so well with the top, is like, yeah. how do you know where you are, for sure? And what this episode needed was a top. It did. Some sort of top device that told Moriarty, or at least communicated to the viewer, that Moriarty knew or did not know where he was. And it's, it's, yeah, and you're right, it seems a little bit thin that they were able to turn the exact table back on him in a way that they were originally turned to them. Like, I don't think that it fails. I don't think this episode is ruined by that, but it does, like, enter your head and bump you a little bit. I yeah. Think. So the, the button on the episode is Barkley pulling the chip that the, that the simulation continues to run with. They have a little meeting in the conference room to talk about it, and... Picard sort of says with with some amount of wonderment that, you know, this thing can run forever. The simulation can run forever. They'll never know that it's not real. They've got a they've got sort of a battery and jumper cables hooked up to it so that if the power <laughs> goes out, like they won't lose the thing. It's so macabre. It's there's a a little bit of a a twilight zone ending to this. Like it is it is also tragic. It is not a great ending. It is not a bad ending, but, like, he's in prison, and he doesn't know it. And is that okay? Like, yeah, like he's, he's like, no less alive to... than he was at the beginning of the episode. They agreed that he was alive. It seems like it, it flies in the 
face of the morality of these people. Exactly. Exactly. Like, I don't think he deserves to be on someone's desk. Where do they put that thing? <laughs> do they give it to the scientists that are working on the, like, bring this guy into reality? Like, they also sort of treat Mor- Moriarty like he is he's so reflexively villainous that he's too dangerous to be allowed into our world, even if we could find a way, which I feel like is a pretty debatable premise. Like, you know, I, I feel like I could be convinced, but I don't, I don't understand where they're coming from with that. It's, I mean, they double crossed him and they left him alive. That's, it's the con problem, you know, like you can't maroon him on SETI Alpha 6 this is SETI Alpha 5 and expect him to just stay there like someone's going to boot up this program down the line and there's going to be hell to pay when it happens right? this would have been a fun movie right? I agree did you like this episode Adam? I did fun episode and a challenging premise to make right in 42 minutes you know like Right. It was a uh, it was cheesecake dense. You know, there was a lot of story story making to do here. And that is the thing that it re- like like for all of Inception's like two and a half hours or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like I feel like you get 90% of the fun of that in this and it's less than half as long. Right, because the whole thing falls apart if you don't know the rules to this game and they're able to establish really quickly what those rules are in a really efficient manner. And if they're unable to do that at any point, I, I don't think the episode works. Yeah. Uh, I also really like this episode. Um, I think that it's uh, not uncommon for holodeck peril to be a real, a real snooze on this show. Yeah. And, uh, and this is uh, an example of it done very well. Some of the best remastering on the show were these two globes banging. Pretty hot banging, I thought. Yeah. Look good. Some big some big globes. Yeah. I mean made me made me want to produce a probe or two of my own. <laughs> uh speaking of uh probes, Ben, has anyone sent any probes to us in our general area? Hmm. Let's see what is due for our chins, Adam. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of priority one messages here. Our first one is from Steve, John, and Matilda. Mr. Katie. It goes like this. Thanks for being a great mom. When the rascals are old enough to view this podcast, they will be much more thankful than they are now that they've never been trapped in a turbo lift, singing Frere Jacques, or stranded in a desert doing a school run. And until then, we all love you and hope that this is the best Mother's Day. Better than all days. Everywhere. Uh, well, that's a that's a fun one. Uh, happy Mother's Day, Katie. Uh, and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in the crowd. I feel like we got we got plenty of the, plenty of moms out there. A lot of people say that Mother's Day is a Hallmark holiday. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> 
You will find my real doll creations. <laughs> Come in all shapes, sizes, and ages. In many ways, I feel like a mother myself, because <laughs> without me, they wouldn't exist. So, in some ways, this is a day of celebration for me as well. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to me. <laughs> do we have another one, Adam? We sure do. Ben, this message is from Stephen Thieker, and it is for Ranjna Thieker. And I really hope I pronounced that right. <laughs> Message goes like this. 25 years ago, we started watching Star Trek The Next Generation together in the student common room at Reading University. And I'm so looking forward to saying hello to Jason Isaacs with you when the new series starts. You're my number one and always will be. Happy 21st anniversary. P.S. You would love this podcast. (laughs) Steven, you you just sent this message out into the ether. (laughs) <laughs> hoping <laughs> hoping that it would find your wife. Wow. I hope that the uh I hope that the plan isn't like a clockwork orange forced viewing of this podcast. <laughs> Cuz by the time you get here, man, wow. you've had to listen to a lot of uh probes on globes jokes. <laughs> <laughs> that hot probes on globes action. Wow. 25 years. It's a big milestone. Congratulations, guys. Well, if you would like to uh, wish somebody a happy Mother's Day or anniversary or send any other message, uh, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron to order one. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And we really appreciate everybody who sends them. So thanks. Thanks. Darmok Angelad. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you 
with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Uh, I did. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to give mine to a wordless security guy. At one point, there's like a cut down to Worf in the hallway with some lackeys, and they're trying to like bust through the holodeck door. Hmm. And there's just a guy in the foreground with like a electronic pen, and he's, uh, he's touching it to different points on the force field that's keeping them out of the hallway. <laughs> I don't know. It just, it just made me laugh because I love the idea that he like tried one place, and he's like, well, let me see if there's a hole over here. Nope, this is also a force field. How about here? Nope, still a force field. <laughs> ben, this is a double Shimoda because I chose the same guy. He's, he's totally asked to mime, right? He's sort of <laughs> miming with a chapstick. He's doing the box. He sure is. He's trapped in this box, Ben. Yeah. And the one Poor guy guy. that they send to, to break down the door is the wrongest guy for this job. <laughs> like, Worf, lead the team to open up this door is... Sort of a, a terrible a, order to give. They should know a better. Cruel, cruel irony. Yeah. Yeah. Get Shimoda. Yeah. You too, buddy. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode of the show is season six, episode 13, Aquiel. Jordy is enamored with a beautiful and mysterious Starfleet lieutenant accused of murder. Do you remember this episode, Adam? Jordy LaForge always falls for the wrong woman. <laughs> Jordy, you can't love me. I've been accused of murder. The first gold uh, Juan Ortiz signed card I have is from Aquiel. 
Is this person a robot person that Jordy falls in love with? No, I think she's like a real babe, but she uh is she like not around? How is she in the globes department? <laughs> Adam. In a probe. Jordy's not a globes man. I think we all know that. He's a he's a uh <laughs> he's a calzone man. Yeah. Yeah. Big into those calzones. <laughs> Stuff that crust, Jordy. Oh. We're turning into assholes, Adam. <laughs> I don't like this. Cut that out. (laughs) Cut it all out. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know what? This is one of the episodes that people warned us about when we vetoed Rascals. Or I should say, when when I vetoed Rascals, they're like, you guys, Aquiel's coming up. You're not going to like this episode, I thought. Well, am I wrong? Am I misremembering? I would never say you're wrong on this program, Ben, until the mics turn off. (laughs) <laughs> so i guess we'll find out if uh, find if our out. viewers inclinations are correct on this one uh yeah and uh that will be our next episode speaking of inclinations ben if any viewer is so inclined to help support our show uh, they can do that by going to maximumfund.org slash donate uh you can also support the show by buying an aforementioned p1 message we've got merch items on the website the Tapatico site. Got a couple of shirts. Got a glass. Got a great Junction Motor glass. Should probably start working on, on the next thing. We have a few a few cool submitted designs from viewers, so uh, it might be one of those. Who knows? Time to get cracking on that, I think. Yeah. Well, uh, we should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusia for much of the other music you hear on the program. Uh, we should thank great folks over at MaximumFun.org. If you'd like to crack wise online about the show, use the hashtag GreatestGen on Twitter. Adam is at CutForTime, and I am at BenjaminRAHR. There are also great and lively Reddit group and Facebook group and uh, the GreatestGen wiki on wikia.com. So all of those are uh, great resources and or communities. Did you ever think we would be a podcast with 14 different pages of internet stuff? It's pretty amazing. It's a, yeah, we should have our own page at some point so that we can point in the direction of all of those. <laughs> yeah, the, you know what? It's great that, like, the the internet structure that is the best for our show are, are places that uh, our viewers have constructed on their own. The yeah. one place that we've made ourselves is garbage. <laughs> if you'd like to know about our upcoming tour sign up for our mailing list it's gach.biz slash mail and with that we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that is uh, going down for a murder rap unless Jordy LaForge has something to do about it
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.